morning. And Merry Christmas. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with his family and our family. If you would, please turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 2, 25 through 38. The Red Pew Bible, it's page 725. Luke 2, 25 through 38. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents had brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause a falling in the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then she was widowed until 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Thank you, John. Join me in prayer as we come around and look at this passage of Scripture this morning. Keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you as John just said, for the privilege of being together with uh, our family. We thank you uh, for this wonderful family of God in which we can uh, grow with, that we can serve alongside of, that we can uh, challenge and encourage each other in you. And God, we know that all of our growth and all of our movement forward comes from one source, and that's you. We need the Spirit of God to be active and present in our lives always. We need the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts this morning regarding this passage of Scripture. God, I pray that you would uh, stir in us what it is that you want us to respond to this morning that would impact us for the days, weeks, months, years to come. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Now, if you are on top of your game this morning, you notice the title of the sermon. And the title of the sermon, I thought, was quite appropriate. Waiting. Waiting. Some of you are waiting for me to get done so that you can get home and unwrap your gifts. You know, Christmas on a Sunday poses a dilemma of sorts. Some of you wish we kept our schedule the same for the morning, and some of of you might have wondered why we didn't cancel for today as some churches chose to do. But whatever the case, you're here, and now you're waiting for me to get on with my sermon. (laughs) I'm not going to try and and tease you with this. This is a message about waiting. That's right up there with praying for patience. (laughs) Yeah, I got behind every slow driver yesterday, and I thought, And I said to my wife, you know what my sermon's on tomorrow? Waiting. If you've done any shopping over the past two weeks, you've had your share of waiting. Waiting for cars ahead of you to get moving. Waiting for the line to get smaller. Waiting for the package to arrive in the mail. Waiting to see the bill for the stuff you purchased. Some find it hard to wait for Christmas to open their presents, so they sneak around to find those hidden gifts. Now, I heard of a mom and dad who had very curious kids and would look hard for their presents and would find them each year. No matter how clever the parents were, the kids seemed to find those gifts just the same. And so the parents worked out this deal with their neighbors. They switched gifts. They hid their neighbors' gifts in their closets and they gave their gifts to their neighbors to hide in their home. And of course, the children knew nothing of the plan And, of course, the kids would sneak around to find the gifts. And on Christmas Eve, after the kids were sound asleep, they would then go and swap their gifts and wrap their own gifts. Now, can you imagine the surprised look on the kid's face as they watched the kid next door ride around on the bike they thought was theirs? (laughs) Or they're on those skates or that toy that they thought was theirs. Can you just imagine it? It's hard to wait. And I likely, as I've already alluded to, am the last person who should speak on such a subject. And waiting is not only part of the season, it is part of life. We all do it. We have waiting rooms and waiting lines. We wait to be seated. We wait on the phone to speak to the person who can barely speak English. We wait. Sometimes it seems that all we do is wait. That our life is one mad rush to get from one weight to another, from one line to another. A report from a few years ago said that on an average, on an average, we spend six months, over a lifetime, we spend six months sitting at stoplights and over five years waiting in lines. Five years of my life waiting in lines. That's why you have to have a good book with you at all times. The question on the table this morning, I'm putting a little spin on it here. The question on the table this morning is, what are you waiting for? Many are waiting for the day they can move out of their house. Many are waiting for the day they marry the right person or find that right job or or make the right amount of money or live in the right house or or get to that next life stage or, or some are waiting for that big break or waiting for someone to change in order to make their life a little easier. What are you waiting for? Our Christmas sermon series concludes this morning on Jesus is the answer, but what are the questions? 
And the purpose of this series was to explore the fundamental questions within that address our significance, our security, and our meaning in life. The goal of this sermon series really was twofold. First of all, First of all, it was so that each one of us would look within to the nagging questions in life and find that they drive us to the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the second purpose of this, it was, it was to have, so that we would have our ears open to the questions others are asking, particularly those without Christ. We can't simply get in their face and say, Jesus is the answer if we aren't even listening to the questions that are on their minds. We must be convinced ourselves that God addressed those longings and to answer the questions that will never go away when Jesus, the Messiah, arrived. The holiday we celebrate as Christmas memorializes God's answer to the deepest questions of life. Questions like, do we matter? Does God care? Where is God? Why doesn't he act and do something about the problems? And my prayer around this sermon series is that God would place in our hearts, like never before, a spirit of expectation, an anticipation of maybe that spiritual breakthrough in our lives, a realization that all the longings of our heart are met in the Christ child. Reminds me of that all-familiar quote spoken often by C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Now we're introduced to two people this morning who had a spirit of expectation. The timing of this account is eight days after the birth of Jesus. And yet, rarely will you see either of these two people in a Christmas play. They don't come up too often, even in Christmas stories. Yet this account told to us only in the Gospel of Luke contributes so much to our understanding of the significance of Christ's coming. Twice in the section of Scripture that was read... You find the idea of waiting. You'll find it in the first verse that was read, verse 25, and speaking of Simeon, and then the thought is there, and the last verse that was read regarding Anna's words about the child in verse 38. It's at the very beginning, verse 25, and at the very end, verse 38, waiting, or looking forward to. We have here in this account a beautiful picture of a spirit of expectation. Now I remind you that as the Old Testament scripture ended, there was a period of silence, at least in terms of specific recorded revelation. God does not speak again for 400 years. Years of waiting. If hunger is the best cook, as Luther said, If hunger is the best cook, then we arrive at Jesus at the end of the Old Testament in a famished state. It ends, in a sense, on a note of unfulfilled longings and faint hope. Enter Simeon. Enter Anna. They wait. They look forward to. They have a spirit of expectation for the coming of the Messiah. 
And it seems as though God gives us this account here in Luke chapter 2 to show continuity between the old and the new. Now, here are two God-centered individuals. How do we know they're God-centered? Well, look what the passage says of them in verse 25, Luke chapter 2. Follow along here, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says of Simeon that he was righteous and devout. Of Anna, go to verse 37. Of Anna, it says in verse 37, that she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Can you imagine that? She never left the temple. Blows my mind. God-centered people. Now listen, God-centered people have a spirit of expectation. Since we can never nail God down or put him in a box, we know that he can break through at any moment, any way he so chooses. Even in times of silence. Even in times of waiting. Even in times of wondering, what in the world is God up to right now? Even in times of of why isn't God doing something about this situation, we know that at any moment he can break through. God has told us just enough to have us standing on tiptoes, watching and waiting. Now, that image of standing on tiptoes works for me. I don't know about you, but it works for me. Have you ever been in a crowd of people waiting for a loved one to return home? It might be in an airport or or a train station or bus terminal. I mean, I can picture those parents waiting in anticipation for their college student, their child, to return home for Christmas break. I can picture those spouses and parents of, of loved ones who have been off into the service for six months to a year, and they're finally returning home, and they're waiting, and they're watching for them to get off the plane on tiptoes. Hmm. Do we have the same spirit of ec- expectation for the mighty God to act in our lives around us? Is it there? Is it there? Do we have that same spirit of expectation for what lies ahead? What's he going to do next? Or is it? Which? Are we standing on tiptoes watching and waiting for the second coming of Christ? These two godly saints were looking forward to the Christ who would be the fulfillment of the prophets of old. Here were two godly people committed to keeping the law of Moses. But people who were prepared for Christ's arrival because of their attention to scriptures and spiritual things. They understood from scriptures that God would send a deliverer, the Messiah, God's anointed one who would bring deliverance to the people of Israel. Theirs was a messianic hope. And they stood on tiptoes, watching and waiting for God to break into history in a way that he's never done before. Both welcomed the arrival and awakening of a new era though they themselves were part of the olds. Now, I don't want to go further with this than the text, but there's an observation I want to make here, and you can do with it as you want. These two God-centered people were waiting for a new chapter to be written. They were waiting for what was to come, and they were not stuck in the past. 
Part of the reason I believe that we lose a spirit of expectation for greater things to be done is because we hang on to our past. And we're stuck there. Ask God to awaken in you a vision for what is to come as we move into a new year. You you dare to ask Him that. Ask God to stir within you a spirit of expectation of what He wants to do in your world. Of what He wants to do in your marriage. Of what He wants to do in your family and in your workplace and in your network of relationships. In our church. In our area around us. Loved ones like Simeon and Anna, let's have a spirit of expectation of great things to come. Because the Christ child has come. Notice with me verse 25 again. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Now get this, he was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting. He longed for Christ's appearing. Now what is meant by the consolation of Israel? Well, what comes to your mind when you hear the word consolation? You'd you'd not be too far off if you thought on the lines of comforts. We find in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, written to exiles who were oppressed and weary, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Christ would be the one who would ultimately bring comfort to the nation by absolving them of their past and forgiving them of their sins. The coming of the Messiah would provide them with a hope that they could start over. Simeon and Anna knew Christ was Israel's only hope, and they had such a longing inside for an answer to their nation's problems. And they knew, and they were ready to receive the, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, because they were longing for something different. They were longing for a remedy. Let me ask you a question. Has there been a stirring that's going on in your heart as of late? Is there a holy dissatisfaction of the way things are in your life and around you? Don't fight that. Don't ignore the longings of your heart. Just let them drive you to Christ. You may be here this morning, you've never met him personally, or perhaps you're here and you've been walking with him for years, and yet there's this unexplainable hunger inside of you. Jesus truly is the answer to that. He is what your heart has been waiting for. Let that waiting create such an anticipation in you for God to break through in your life and don't surrender that waiting until it's met in him. Keep waiting. Let's listen in on Simeon's words as he holds the baby Jesus in his arms. Verse 29. Verse 29, follow along. It says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Now earlier in our passage, verse 26 Luke records that by special revelation, Simeon was told that he would see this deliverer before passing away. Now, whether Simeon is is getting up there in age or not, we don't know. But one thing is for sure, which I find quite interesting, it is that Simeon is ready to be taken from this life and can now go in peace. Why? Because he has seen the answer to the hopes for his people. In verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now he's holding the baby Jesus in his arms. You would have expected Simeon to say, I have seen, my eyes have seen the Messiah. He holds in his arms 
the salvation of his people. To see Christ is to see salvation. And since he saw salvation, the realization of his, of, of his long-awaited hope, he was prepared to die. Oh, how critical it is that we see salvation before seeing death. Because once the issue of your salvation is settled, as it was for, for Gordon Rennick, you're then truly prepared to die. You can now say, I can go in peace. If your hope is in Christ, you can go in peace. Simeon's words of praise and confidence continue. Verse 31, let me read verse 30 again. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This baby Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles. Simeon's words go beyond the nation Israel. He might have the book of Isaiah in mind as we read a few weeks ago. Remember Isaiah 49 verse 6. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Israel, God says to Jesus. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles to be my salvation to the ends of the worlds of the earth. It's too small a thing for this little baby to restore Israel. It will be far more reaching than one nation. Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel, wants to come and restore every one of us from all our past losses. He wants to come into our life and to heal our soul, revive what has been lost. He wants to comfort us with his love and forgiveness. He wants to give us a new lease in life, if that's what you need. He wants to write the next chapter in your life, if that's what you need. He wants to fill your heart with hope. Where are our hopes? Where are our hopes? What are we hoping in? What are we waiting for? What are we banking on? I can't help but think of Travis Roy. It might not mean anything to you, but he's a big name in Maine many years ago. He was a shining hockey star in a high school in Maine. He gave his all to the game of hockey. His hope was to play in the big leagues, and with the talent he had, many felt that he would. And so he went off to college with a full hockey scholarship and, and hopes to make it big. He looked forward to, to his day of, of finally starting all of that by playing college hockey. And yet he saw his dreams smashed in 30 seconds. 30 seconds. In his first hockey game on college ice, his first shift on the ice as he fell to the ice with a career-ending injury. Now he says it's we're all worth it. I wonder. Where's your hope? Is it in something that could be taken away in 30 seconds? Or is it in something eternal? Tis the season for hope. And Christmas has a way of exposing wrong hopes. I mean, why is it that the days following Christmas have the highest rate of depression? What is it about Christmas season that we often experience post-Christmas blues? Perhaps it's this season that God wants to impress on us somehow that, that how frustrating life can be without Christ and cause us to drive us to Christ that he might be preparing us for something that only Christ can offer. Hope. Where are your hopes? Now, when we speak of hope, we might confuse it with wishful thinking. It's not what it is. Perhaps you confuse hope with a crazy hunch that we get from time to time. I hope I'm right on this. That's not the hope we're talking about. It's not the hope that you experience the first few hours of a diet. That's not the hope we're talking about. 
It's not hope as a little, one little guy defined it, wishing for something you know ain't going to happen. <laughs> That's not the hope either. Biblical hope is different than how we often speak of it in our conversations. The hope expressed by Simeon and Anna is the certainty that God will do exactly what he said he will do. God said through the Old Testament prophets that he would send the Messiah. Simeon and Anna banked on it. Their hope was anchored in the truth and the character of God. It always is. And all that you might be going through in your personal life, you need your hope anchored in something secure. God has stepped into your hurting world and he offered you his hand. He wants to be the answer to your deepest longing. He waits for you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I need Jesus, not only for the first time in my life, but I need Jesus every single day of my life. Will you dare to look in the mirror and see what you need to see there so that you can make the changes and throw yourself at the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? The film star Mae West in her younger years would be considered a very beautiful woman. But as the inevitable wrinkles and lines began to show, Mae West couldn't deal with those changes in her appearance and in her beauty. She was in such a state of severe denial, not wanting to believe that her glamour and beauty would fade, she removed all the mirrors from her home. She figured that if she didn't have to look into the face of reality, she could live on. That's how some are dealing with life. I'll be in denial here. I just remove all the mirrors. God puts a mirror up to the soul of your life, and he says, what do you see there? Reminds me of a husband who was out shopping for a gift for his wife. And he asked the store clerk, how much does this perfume cost? And the, uh, she answered, the bottle cost uh, $50. $50? Do you have any other perfume? Well, this bottle here costs $30. $30? Do you have any other perfume? She said, well, this bottle here costs $20. $20 for that little bottle, he exclaimed in disbelief. Can you show me something cheap? Sure, she replied. She handed him a mirror. <laughs> yeah. What is it we see that we don't want to see? Right? It's easy to kind of put the mirror away. Let's not look at it. I don't want to face reality. Is this the season to face reality, to look in the mirror? What is it I see? What can I change? What's the spirit of expectation that I can have that God's going to do in my life after I see this? Perhaps your eyes have seen God's salvation, but as of late, they've wandered off the face of Christ and they're on to lesser temporary things. Tis the season to decide to shift your eyes back to the center and taste, really taste, the realities of our union in Jesus Christ. As you listen in on Simeon's words, it should infuse hope and a spirit of expectation within you. Well, there was someone else who was listening in on Simeon's words. It was Anna. And in verse 38 of Luke chapter 2, we see God orchestrating all the events, allowing Anna to hear these words of hope. And she walks in at the right time to hear what Simeon is saying. And verse 38 says, coming up to them at that very moment, she walks in and she hears what Simeon is saying. God orchestrated that. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. There it is again, looking forward, waiting, a spirit of expectation. Anna was part of that group who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
Simeon spoke of the consolation of Israel. Anna referred to Christ's arrival as the redemption of Jerusalem. In many ways, they both speak to the deliverance that would come through the Messiah. But there's also a sense in which there's a slight difference in what they were saying. For Simeon, Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel is the answer to the people's sin against a holy, righteous, perfect God. God's consolation solved the problem of sin. God's consolation brought restoration and healing to a people who had a history of a broken covenant with God and repeated failures. This consolation from Simeon's lips speaks to the past and then the present. Anna's words of redemption of Jerusalem speak to what is in store for them in the future. The redemption of Jerusalem would still be future beyond Christ's first coming and sacrifice to Christ's second coming to deliver his people from all of their enemies. Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1 says it this way. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Now is Israel experiencing that today? Hardly. It's still future. In other words, since the promised Messiah has come, it is a guarantee that someday they will be completely liberated from all of their enemies. They were still looking at spirit of expectation for what lies ahead. These words carry a very special promise to Israel. But is there a word here for us? Does this provide some hope for us today? Well, absolutely, most definitely. The hope is this. If you missed everything else, get this. If your trust is in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, then you have a future bursting with expectation. If your trust is in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, then you have a future bursting with expectation. If your eyes have seen God's salvation, you are promised that someday you will look squarely into his face as did Simeon and Anna. What's that do for you? What are you waiting for? When William Montague Duke was 10 years old, he was blinded in an accident. Despite his disability, William graduated from a university in England with high honors. While he was in school, he fell in love with the daughter of a high-ranking British naval officer, and they became engaged. Not long before their wedding, William had eye surgery in the hope that the operation would restore his sight. If it failed, he would remain blind for the rest of his life. This was his only chance, his only hope to ever see again. William insisted on keeping the bandages on his face until his wedding day. If the surgery was successful, he wanted the first person he saw to be his new bride. The wedding day arrived. A tremendous spirit of expectation caused William's heart to pound. The many guests, including royalty and cabinet members and distinguished men and women of society, assembled together to witness the exchange of the vows. William's father and doctor who performed the surgery stood next to the groom, whose eyes were still covered with bandages. The organ trumpeted the wedding march, and the bride slowly walked down the aisle 
to the front of the church. As soon as she arrived at the altar, the surgeon took a pair of scissors out of his pocket and he cut the bandages from William's eyes. Tension filled the room. The guests held their breath as they waited to find out if William could see the woman standing before him. As he stood face to face with his bride-to-be, William's words echoed throughout the cathedral. You are more beautiful than I ever imagined. One day, the bandages that cover our eyes will be removed. When we stand face to face with Jesus Christ and we see His face for the very first time, His glory will be far more wonderful than anything we could ever imagine in this life. God has acted by sending the Messiah. He will act once more by sending Him again, this time in power and glory. So we wait. Is it a spirit of expectation that is the heartbeat for all that you do as we wait? Do we stand on tiptoes watching and waiting for that day, his second coming? With that kind of hope, with that kind of hope, shouldn't we live each day in a spirit of expectation with what God can and wants to do through us, we wait. And while we wait, while we wait, don't we have some unfinished business to attend to? Let's pray.